The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. A new month, a new market. Stocks looking to kick off December in the green. Futures, they are higher. This after another pandemic and Powell-led sell-off. President Biden considering new travel restrictions and stricter COVID testing. This is the latest strain continues its global spread. We'll speak with one top-ranked biotech analyst on Omicron and what he sees ahead. It was close, but a big day for Merck as the FDA narrowly backs its oral COVID-19 treatment. A C-suite shakeup at Salesforce that has marked Benioff sharing the corner office. And something unusual this way comes with Apple as that stock pops in the middle of all the volatility. It is Wednesday, December 1st, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you might be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thank you very much for joining us once again, and let us get right to it on this first day of December. Welcome to December, everybody. Futures. They are higher. Dow futures up nearly 300 points. And the S&P 500 and NASDAQ, they are doing even better. Their futures both up more than 1% in the pre-market. Look at that. NASDAQ futures soaring up more than 200. All this after the indexes fell yesterday with the Dow and the S&P seeing their second losing month in the past three. The Russell 2000 small caps even worse. Coming off their worst month since all the way back when the pandemic began in March of 2020. As of this morning, more than half of the S&P 500, or 258 stocks to be exact, are 10% or more below their most recent high. Even worse, 120 of those are 20% or more below their peaks. Those names include some big ones. Discovery, Gap, Las Vegas Sands, Twitter, Carnival, Intel, Disney, and even Boeing. Now, technically, maybe there is some better news from the macro market perspective. The S&P 500 hit a lower low yesterday than on Friday and on higher volume. Lower low, higher volume. Some chart watchers suggest that may actually be a good sign of a washout in the S&P 500. Coming up a bit later on, we're going to show you something that may bring you back to what happened to stocks on the very first days of the Delta variant. Right now, though, let's also get a check on bond yields. They are slightly higher, but still just below 1.5%. Now, yesterday, the markets got a double whammy. They had COVID over here, plus what appeared to be a suddenly very hawkish Jay Powell talking about a possible faster pace of the so-called taper and reduction of bond buying. At this point, the economy is very strong and inflationary pressures are high. And and it is therefore appropriate, in my view, to consider wrapping up the taper of our asset purchases, which we actually announced at the November meeting, perhaps a few months sooner. And I expect that we will discuss that at at our upcoming meeting in a couple of weeks. 
And not to be cynical, but some on the street did note Jay Powell's new aggressive stance on inflation kind of coming out of the blue and very soon after his confirmation to a new term. Regardless, he testifies on Capitol Hill again today alongside Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. And also, let's check the worst of the worst lately, and that is oil. Oil is higher right now by just about four, more than 4%. Nice pop there, but it's down still 20% in a month coming into this morning. You've got OPEC meeting today and tomorrow. And Goldman Sachs out with a note late last night saying it looks like oil may be near a capitulation. Either way, oil is higher by 4.5% right now. We'll get more on oil and that Goldman call in just a bit. In the meantime, let's get a quick check on the early trade overseas and send it over to our friend Juliana Tottlebaum in London, where you had all red yesterday. Now it's all green today, Juliana. That's right, Brian. A European equity market starting December on a high note. We are firmly in recovery mode this morning. As you can see here, every major region in Europe is trading higher this morning. About 1.5% worth of gains for the German, Italian, and Spanish markets. The FTSE 100 here in the UK up about 1.4%. Over in France, the CAC 40 up 1.3%. The Swiss market uh, lagging behind somewhat, but still up 0.5%. So very broad-based rally taking shape this morning. From a sector perspective, Perspective. The rally is also broad-based, just one sector trading below the flat line right now, and that is utilities, the most defensive part of the market. On the upside, travel and leisure rebounding very uh, strongly this morning, up more than 3%. Uh, basic resources up 2.9% alongside a jump in commodity prices, providing a boost to the miners, autos, oil and gas, and banks. So clearly, investors taking a more risk-on approach today after yesterday's sell-off. The stock 600 yesterday dropped about 0.9%. So uh, uh, outperforming U.S. markets, but still a down day this morning. Investors putting a little bit more money back into the market. Brian? Well, they certainly are. Juliana Tatabam, appreciate that. Thank you very much. All right, now to this morning's and this week's top story in our continued focus on the Omicron variant. Bertha Coombs is here now at the very latest on what we know and still what we don't. Bertha, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Still a lot we don't know. But the Biden administration is considering tightening requirements for international travel amid growing concerns over Omicron. Earlier, the Washington Post reported the new rules could include requiring anyone entering the U.S. to test negative one day before they board their flight, regardless of vaccination status and departure country. Officials also reportedly weighing requiring travelers to retest within three to five days of arrival and in Imposing a seven-day quarantine for all travelers, including U.S. citizens, even if they test negative. According to a White House official who spoke with NBC News, policy discussions are ongoing and no final calls have been made yet. Meantime, an FDA advisory panel narrowly endorsing the use of Merck and Ridgeback Biotherapeutics oral COVID-19 treatment pill, overcoming questions and concerns about its effectiveness and whether it could help the virus mutate into an even more dangerous variant. The pill still needs final authorization from the FDA and CDC before it is available to the public, even on an emergency basis. And Pfizer CEO Albert Burla confirming on Twitter late yesterday his company has officially submitted a request to the FDA to expand the emergency use authorization of its COVID-19 booster shot to include 16 and 17-year-olds. Brian? 
Yeah, we're going to get a little more on that uh, oral antiviral you just mentioned with Matthew Harrison and Morgan Stanley a bit later on in the show. Close vote, but it did go through, and we'll see what happens. Bertha, we'll see you in a few minutes. Thank you. Yeah, and they they started All off, right. in fact, saying everyone be civil in this discussion because it was it was likely to get heated. Yeah, a lot of passions on both sides, which is not something you normally see. It's sort of a medical and or scientific meeting and a lot of skeptics still out there. But it did pass and we'll talk about it in a bit. Bertha, we'll see you also in a bit. Thank you very much. All right, let's get back now with your money and stocks looking like they are set to do a bit of a U-turn after yesterday's steep losses. New month, new market, who knows? And in a trading day that saw drops across the board, nearly across the board, Apple was one of the few major tech stocks that actually moved higher. In fact, amid the carnage, Apple rocked out a 3% gain, even as the rest of the Nasdaq tanked. Some analysts suggesting the move is kind of like a flight to safety, and I guess in a way calling Apple a type of a bond. So what should you be doing right now with all this market volatility? Maybe on a macro level, nothing is the best move. Joining us now to talk more about it is Malcolm Etheridge, Executive Vice President at CIC Wealth. Mal- Malcolm, welcome back. I assume yeah, that means right. you are telling your clients, hey, good morning, remain calm, don't be making any major moves, but that also includes don't be throwing a bunch of new money at the market thinking this dip is automatically going to bounce. Uh, yes and no. Uh, I think it's it's uh, interesting that you started off by talking about the number of uh, stocks that are actually down 10 plus percent in the S&P uh, through the year, because we've been I've been coming on your network for a while uh, this year telling folks to diversify away from that fang trade that everybody is buying that dip. Once again, we saw it uh, Black Friday. All of a sudden, the market's down. Everybody buys back the dip and the following day, the market's back up and we're likely to be on the same course today looking at the futures versus yesterday. And what we've been telling clients is there's no way that the FANG trade continues to push and push and push the way that it has, say, for Apple, which you just kind of alluded to, which uh, I heard someone say on your network yesterday it has kind of become its own asset class all of a sudden overnight. Um, but we've been telling people that this is the reason we preach diversification, because there's so many companies that are having their own corrections underneath the surface that if you were to just try and pick the five best winners out of the S&P, you're likely to pick the wrong ones based on what has happened in, in history and, mm. and just trying to stick with the same names. Well, it is. I think, Malcolm, it is that people, you know, when people don't know what to do, and that's just not in the market perspective, it's kind of in life. When they don't know what to do, they default to what they know, right? Kind of the psychologist will tell us that. And so when they don't know what's going on in the market, what do they do? Well, they, they buy Apple. Maybe not all the FANG stocks, but they buy Apple. You think there is a smarter, more tactical approach It's not look at what's going to happen next week. It's what's going to happen next year or in 2023. And you think healthcare is going to be a big theme, particularly a name like a United Health. Certainly. We think the healthcare sector is right now sitting on a lot of pent up uh, pent up demand. If you think about the advancements that have been made through COVID, through the wreckage that that is COVID-19 in the last 18 months or so, where all of these companies have, have stepped on the gas pedal with increasing their research in in biopharmaceuticals, in uh, uh, 
tell even telemedicine's been pulled forward by a few years, if not a decade. Like we see so much opportunity there that has been untapped thus far. And these companies are going to get an opportunity to repurpose a lot of those same technologies that they created to fight COVID. They'll get a chance to figure out a way to monetize those in 2022 and beyond rather than having to sell that to the U.S. government at cost like they have in the last couple of years. Yeah, and it's kind of tough to remember that there's a lot of bad stuff that is still out there outside of the pandemic. Some cancer rates are up, obesity rates are up, diabetes rates may be up as well. So Malcolm Etheridge playing the longer-term trend in healthcare. Sure. Malcolm, we appreciate your kind words, calm guidance. It is needed right now, my friend. Thank you for getting up early and coming on Worldwide Exchange. See you soon. All right, when we come back here on WEX, some perspective on what else? Omicron from top-ranked Morgan Stanley biotech analyst Matthew Harrison. You're going to want to hear what he has to say. Plus, much more on Jay Powell's suddenly tougher, tapered talk and what investors can expect in day two of testimony. And later on, Elon Musk throwing a little bit of shade at Apple over one of its more eh, controversial accessories. Dow futures up 300, NASDAQ futures up 1.5%, oil up 5%. What's going on? We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back. Time now for your big money movers of the morning. Three, or in this case, four stock stories of the day is inflation everywhere, right? All right, stock number one, Box, higher in the pre-market. Its earnings top estimate. Box shares up more than 40% year to date. Stock number two, Hewlett Packard Enterprises. And some wild moves there. It was down almost 8% after hours before a sharp rebound. The company missed sales estimates for the most recent quarter, but then I guess Investors took another look at it. They liked that earnings topped estimates overall, and that stock bounced back down a little bit right now, but wild move after hours. Stock number three, Twitter. New filings late yesterday showing Kathy Wood's ARK Investment Management bought more than a million shares one day after Jack Dorsey stepped down as CEO, snapping up 1.1 million shares to be exact, worth about 49 million bucks. You can catch, by the way, Kathy Wood on a special CNBC Pro Talks today. 10 a.m. Eastern, go to cnbc.com slash pro to sign up. These are really good, folks. They're long form, lots of questions, lots of time to get into thoughtful discussion. And a bonus stock, Tesla, is Elon Musk throwing a little shade on Apple and its $19 polishing cloth. That's right. This is a real thing, by the way. They have a cloth to polish your iPhone or iPad for 19 bucks. 
Musk taking to Twitter overnight to tout his own possibly overpriced accessory. Blow the whistle on Tesla. Don't waste your money on that silly Apple cloth. Buy our whistle instead. By the way, it is a whistle. Sells for $50 on Tesla's website, and it does have a striking resemblance to either an ancient Dutch clog or the new Cybertruck. You decide. All right, still on deck. Call this the opposite of our weekly insider buying segment. Robert Frank is here to break down some of the big CEO stock sales, turning heads on Wall Street. Dow Futures, they're turning some heads. They're up big. And we are back right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Save big money on everything for your spring projects at Menards. We have all of your garden and landscaping essentials. Master Garden Premium Garden Soil contains a slow-release fertilizer that feeds gardens for up to nine months. It produces better results and is ready to use for all your gardening needs. Save big on Menards' great selection of garden and landscaping products. Compare brands in-store or online at Menards.com. Save big money at You can see it looks like the month of December is going to kick off in a lot different way than the month of November went out. Stock futures, they are higher. We'll get back to that in a moment. But right now, let's step outside the world of money and business, get a check on some of this morning's other top headlines. Philip Mena is in New York with those. Good morning, Philip. Hi, Brian. Good morning. Today, the Supreme Court will hear a Mississippi case challenging Roe versus Wade. It centers around a law banning all abortions at 15 weeks of pregnancy. If the court decides to rule in favor of the state, Roe could be overturned and abortion laws in states across the country could be redefined. CNN has suspended anchor Chris Cuomo indefinitely. The network cites new evidence from the New York State Attorney General that suggests, quote, a greater level of involvement in defending his brother, former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, from sexual harassment allegations. CNN says Chris Cuomo is suspended pending further evaluation. A representative for Chris Cuomo did not respond to requests for comment Tuesday. And the doctor is in. Washington, when crediting the pandemic as motivation, Dr. Mehmet Oz announced he will be campaigning as a Republican for a U.S. Senate seat in Pennsylvania to replace outgoing Senator Pat Toomey. While the heart surgeon and talk show host has criticized Washington's handling of COVID-19, he himself has also received some backlash for controversial comments he made on his program. 
And finally, the Los Angeles Lakers have announced LeBron James has been placed on the NBA's coronavirus health and safety protocols list. LeBron is vaccinated, but there's no word if he has tested positive for COVID-19 or for just how long he could be out of the NBA. Uh, Brian, that's it from here. Back to you. We'll see when uh, LeBron James come back as well. Appreciate that, Philomena. Philip, thank you. All right. All right, straight ahead. The state of play as D.C. holds its breath once again in the face of another looming government shutdown. We will get a live report from that scene right there. That is Washington, D.C., the sun not yet up. And if you have not already, follow our podcast. You miss the show every day or, listen, it's on early in the East Coast. You're just somewhere else or just don't want to get up and sleep in one day. We get it. We would do it if we could. Check out Worldwide Exchange is the name on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcasting apps. Stock futures higher across the board. Oil up more than 4%. We are back right after this. Here we go again. The market coaster rolling on. Stock futures pointing to a big jump. Even oil is soaring this morning. Perhaps on optimism that vaccines will work against Omicron. A new article out of Israel suggesting it. Matthew Harrison is here with what you need to know about this variant and some potentially positive developments around the treatment front. And call this the anti-insider buying as a number of high-profile CEOs sell some of their own company's stock and some at a record pace. Robert Frank is here with that all on this December 1st. And you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Well, welcome or welcome back, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan and good Wednesday morning. Let's get right to it. And it kind of like the counting crows saying it may be a long December, but there's reason to believe that this day Maybe better than the last. You know you're singing in your head now. Stock futures soaring to start the month. Dow futures up nearly 300. But NASDAQ and S&P futures doing even better. Look at the NASDAQ. Futures up nearly 1.5%. Perhaps people doing what they have done. Whenever there's a dip, they pile back into tech. We'll see if that lasts today. These are just the futures. Doesn't indicate the way the market's going to go. But overall, pretty positive start to the month. Now, all this comes off big declines for the major averages on Tuesday. Of course, most of the selling being attributed to the latest COVID strain to pop up, although it was likely also a lot of underlying options activity to contribute to the volatility. It was the end of the month, after all. But because the markets have fallen mostly since Omicron became a variant of concern from the WHO, we want to show you something, because maybe if this move sounds familiar, it just might be. Look at this. It is a one-year chart of the S&P 500. We have noted where the Delta mutation became labeled a variant of concern by the WHO. That was back on May 7th. Investors, they got scared and they started selling. There were a lot of very worrying headlines back there around Delta. Remember that? More transmissible, maybe more dangerous. Will vaccines work? Well, from May 7th to May 13th, the S&P 500 lost about 4.5%. Things then calmed down. And the index rose about 12% from its intraday lows to where it closed yesterday. Pretty doggone good run after we realized the vaccines would work. Now, obviously, we've got a lot to learn and we've got a long way to go. But as of yesterday's close, 
The S&P 500 was down 3.7%, nearly exactly the same as it was in May. Let's see if the trend then holds now. We will see. All right, now let's get to the latest around that Omicron variant, including potential new travel restrictions being considered by the Biden administration. Bertha is back with that. Bertha, what do we know? Good morning, Brian. The Biden administration is considering tightening requirements for international travel amid growing concerns over the Omicron variant. Earlier, The Washington Post reporting the new rules could include requiring anyone entering the U.S. to test negative one day before they board their flight, regardless of vaccination status and departure country. Officials also reportedly weighing requiring travelers to retest within three to five days of arrival and imposing a seven-day quarantine for all travelers, including U.S. citizens, even if they test negative. Now, according to a White House official who spoke with NBC News, policy discussions are ongoing and no final calls have been made. Meantime, an FDA advisory panel narrowly endorsing the use of Merck and Ridgeback Biotherapeutics oral COVID-19 treatment pill overcoming questions and concerns about its effectiveness and whether it could help actually mutate the virus into an even more dangerous variant. The pill still needs final authorization from the FDA and CDC before it's available to the public on an emergency basis. And there are signs that people who are fully vaccinated against COVID within the last six months or who have received a booster shot are protected against the Omicron variant. This according to Israel's health minister. So far, Israel has registered four cases of the new variant. So that's something to watch, Brian. That's what uh, officials are saying. We'll know from lab testing whether the uh, vaccine works against the variant, but it really is going to take what happens in the real world to find out whether it's really possible, how much more transmissible it is, and whether it might be more virulent. Yeah, well, they, they tend to, from what I understand, and, my, and I've got some friends in the scientific community, it's not my opinion whatsoever, that when a, when a virus is more transmissible, it does often tend or most likely tend to be weaker because it becomes kind of desperate to find a home. It's mutating because it needs to, because it's trying to replicate itself. That article, that study you're talking about from Israel birth, I tweeted that out last night. It's only four people. I know four people make up what you will. But it yeah. showed the Pfizer vaccine was what, 90, I think, 93 percent effective in very early studies in preventing the Omicron variant. I think that's one reason the market's up today. Yeah, it's a good it's a good reason to hope that uh, we are starting to build some immunity even as this virus mutates. But Again, it's very early. We still got to wait. And it, it's going to be a matter of weeks before we really start getting some traction on that kind yep. of data. Well, it's like Shawshank Redemption, right? Hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things, right? Because it's what we've got right now. We'll talk more about it with Morgan Stanley's Matthew Harrison in moments. Bertha, thank you. All right, now to Washington, where it could be a dramatic December as the clock ticks again for lawmakers to strike a deal to raise the federal debt limit. With just two weeks to go, leaders on both sides of the aisle do not appear anywhere close to an agreement. But what's new? Lon Moy joining us now. Lon, like Yogi Berra said, it's deja vu all over again. Does it look like they are going to hammer out some kind of last-minute deal this time again? 
Well, Brian, lawmakers are actually staring down two deadlines. And the first is government funding. Then it'll be the debt ceiling. And then the good news in all of that, though, is that lawmakers in Washington do agree that they should avoid shutting down the government or defaulting on the debt. The bad news is they haven't figured out how to do that yet. Government funding runs out on Friday at midnight. The plan had been for the House to vote on a stopgap measure today. But as of late last night, Republicans and Democrats were still haggling over the poison pills in that agreement and how long it should last, though it is expected to go until at least early next year. Still, lawmakers are confident that they can reach an agreement soon. Down. I think we'll get there, and certainly nobody should be concerned about a government shutdown. Meanwhile, on the debt limit, both parties say negotiations have been productive and there is hope for some wiggle room on that December 15th deadline. The bottom line is we hope to come up with a bipartisan agreement that both parties support that doesn't risk us in the debt limit. Now, our own debt limit tracker with the Bipartisan Policy Center shows that Treasury has $272 billion in cash and extraordinary measures left. That puts us in the yellow zone of roughly two weeks of money. But remember, this is a dial that can move forward and it can move backward depending on how much revenue is coming in and how much money is going out. Treasury actually has a little more breathing room than it did at the end of last week even. But there are some big payments that are coming due today and then again on December 15th. And Brian, that is why Secretary Yellen is urging lawmakers to take action soon. Back over to you. You said Treasury has a little more breathing room. How much breathing room exactly does the Treasury really have, Alon? Well, a lot of it is going to depend on that payment that's coming due on December 15th. That's when Treasury has to transfer $118 billion over to the Highway Trust Fund to help pay for that infrastructure bill that just became law. It's unclear if Treasury has to make that as a lump sum payment. If that's the case, they could run out of money before the end of this month. But if they can sort of spread out those payments over time, they could potentially uh, last until sometime in January. That's according to the CBO. But again, it is such a moving target, very unpredictable. And so that's why Congress needs to act soon. What do they say is the definition of insanity, Alon? Doing the same thing over and over again, but thinking you're going to get a different outcome? Alon, thank you. Pretty good definition of Washington, Brian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I heard that a lot from my folks growing up, too. Alon, thank you. All right, now let's get back to the markets and your money, because stocks selling off once again on Tuesday. And it probably wasn't just on the COVID news. A newly confirmed and suddenly very nervous Jay Powell signaled the Fed will consider speeding up its tapering efforts as the threat of high inflation has grown, a discussion that could happen at the Fed's meeting later on this month. Powell also saying that the word transitory needs to go the way of the dinosaur. I think the word transitory has different meanings to different people. To, to many, it carries a time, a sense of, uh, of short-lived. We, we tend to, 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 to ha- use it to mean that it, that it won't leave a permanent mark uh, in, the, in the form of higher inflation. I think it's, it's probably a good time to retire that, that uh, word and try to explain more clearly what we mean. All right, let's talk more now about what you should do. If anything, as the Fed adopts this stance, Greg Sarian is the founder and CEO of Sarian Strategic Partners at Hightower, one of the top-ranked 20 financial advisors. Pennsylvania is ranked by Barron's. Greg, it's good to have you back on. Um, I almost feel like there's BC and AC, and I don't mean COVID. I mean, there's before confirmation and after confirmation, Jay Powell. It's like a 
two totally different people. What do you make of this suddenly very hawkish Fed head? Yeah, thanks for having me back, Brian. I think you're exactly right. And I think investors really need to pay attention because what he says and what he does will likely be the very same thing. We expect that tapering will lead to tightening, and that may be one, maybe two rate hikes next year. And that increases borrowing costs for both consumers and corporations alike, which ultimately put pressure on corporate earnings. So absolutely, we do think that the Fed has made a major chance stance change in monetary policy. Yeah, so what does that mean for our investment portfolios? Okay, transitory is gone. We know that. Maybe we should never have had it in the first place. Suddenly now we're more worried about a faster taper. I think that also played into some of the market move yesterday with options and everything else. Um, what do we do? Do we, do we change anything, Greg? No, I think there's two really important takeaways, Brian. First of all, investors should be expecting more volatility. Over the last three, four years, Brian, we've seen the VIX largely under 35. We haven't had more than a 10% correction in a year. That's just not normal. Markets are typically choppier than that. But more importantly, investors need to reset their return expectations. We've been in an abnormally good stock market. Over the last 80 years, the S&P's averaged around 6.5%. 10 years ending yesterday's averaged 14%. So the Fed is gonna cause more volatility. Inflation concerns are gonna cause more volatility. I think investors need to reset expectations and raise the quality of their portfolio. In the equity side, we, we've seen that growth stocks have had this resurgence, tech stocks over the last few months. But we believe you want to make sure you have an equal weight to dividend stocks, cyclicals, financial companies. But also, Brian, the bond side, the Barclays aggregate bond index is negative year to date. So we expect investors are going to see as much, if not more, volatility in their bond portfolio than their equity portfolio. So laddering high-quality individual bonds and complementing that with high-yield or floating rate makes a lot of sense to us in this interest rate environment. Any reason, quickly, quickly, Greg, to own high-yield bonds, not treasuries? A absolutely, as a small sliver. High-yield is called high-yield because it's got some risk to it. So there is room as a small sliver. It's a nice diversifier as a small percentage of your fixed income allocation. I feel like, Greg, it's like a, it's like a new month and we have like a new Fed chair. He's the same. He's the same Fed chair, but he's like a new Fed chair. But he's like the meet the new boss. Same as the old. I yeah. think the song goes same as the old boss. Greg Sarian, really appreciate on. your views. Thanks yeah. for getting up early, Greg. All right. We'll see you soon. Big change there from Jay Powell. All right. Coming up. Some of your morning stop stories, including what is fueling big drops in shales, sh shares of Salesforce by the seashore, he said. Salesforce down 6% on top of 4% drop yesterday and a change in the C-suite there, sort of. And as we had to break, take a look at the price of oil booming. Goldman Sachs saying that we are near what could be a capitulation. And in a note that crossed early this morning, Goldman Sachs saying about oil's recent price move that it's basically the equivalent of a 700,000 barrel a day negative demand hit, or the same as not one single airplane flying anywhere in the world for three months, and a world worse off than before vaccines. They think a bottom may be in for oil. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back. Could be a tough day for Salesforce.com shareholders. A stock getting hit right now down 6%. It is the biggest Dow and S&P decliner in the pre-market. That's on top of a 4% drop yesterday. 
Company's guidance for the current period falling short of expectations, but there's more to the story. Salesforce also announcing that Brett Taylor, who's been president and COO, is being promoted to co-CEO with Mark Benioff, as well as vice chair of the company's board. That stock getting hit hard this morning. All right, staying on the CEO front. Normally here on Worldwide Exchange, every Friday we bring you our exclusive insider buying segment. But a number of high-profile CEOs have been doing the opposite as of late, selling shares of their own companies, some at a record rate. Robert Frank joining us now with a look at who is shedding what. Robert. Well, Brian, Satya Nadella of Microsoft, the latest to sell half of his shares for about $285 million. Nadella saying it was for, quote, personal financial planning and diversification reasons. But he joins other CEOs in what is turning out to be a record year for overall stock sales. According to Insider Score, CEOs and insiders have sold $69 billion in stock so far this year. That is up 28 percent over last year and nearly 80 percent from the 10-year average. And we're going to see even more sales in December since it tends to be a very active month for tax selling. Now, the super sellers are driving most of these gains. Elon Musk selling around $10 billion of his shares, with about half going to options related to taxes and others for straight cash outs. Bezos also at around $10 billion this year. That's kind of flat with last year, but five times his 2019 sales the Waltons of Walmart, also big sellers, followed by Mark Zuckerberg. Those four sellers alone accounting for nearly 40% of this year's total. Now, one reason for all the selling is taxes, along with the threat of higher federal taxes. Washington state is about to impose a new 7% tax on capital gains. That starts January 1st. So Nadella saving about $20 million in taxes by selling now. Bezos saving around $700 million. Brian? All right, so they're saving money in taxes. By the way, saving more money than you and I will ever see in 50 lifetimes, sadly. <laughs> uh, how many of these do we know, though, are like these automated pre-planned stock sales, right? Where it's like, they're like, well, we're not, we're not saying we don't love our company. These were planned years ago. Yeah, many of them are. Uh, in fact, most of the big sellers are even Elon Musk, who had that Twitter poll and everything. It turns out all of that was part of a 10B51 plan that started in September. So you're absolutely right. Most of these are automated sellers, and some of it's driven simply by the stock price. It may not be that they're selling more, much more shares than previous years. It's just the stock prices are so much higher that the dollar numbers are. But those, those plans are changeable. And, and in total, the numbers, again, $69 billion. The 10-year average is more like 38. So it is a quantum leap. And it's probably one factor adding to the downward bias in this market right now, especially given as we go into December, where there is just so much tax selling, even in a normal year, yet alone, yet, uh, alone when we have federal taxes probably going up and some at the state level as well. Yeah, well, stocks do tend to go down when there are more sellers than buyers. Robert Frank with his new exclusive insider selling segment. Robert, we appreciate it. Thank you very much. Have a good day, my friend. All right. By the way, I am off the show tomorrow, but back Friday with our insider buying segment. So don't miss that. All right on deck. Your morning RBI and a follow up to why we were in England a few weeks ago. And it is not good news. Plus, 
What you need to know right now about the latest COVID variant. Morgan Stanley's Matthew Harrison is here with maybe, maybe some good news around treatment that you may not hear anywhere else. And be sure to join CBC's Pro Talks with ARK Invest, Kathy Wood. She'll talk to markets. Her pick today, that is 10 a.m. Eastern time. She'll take some of your questions, but only if you sign up and are a pro subscriber. You can go to cnbc.com slash pro. These are long-form events that are very cool things. Sign up. We'll see you there at 10 a.m. We'll be right back after this short break. Today's RBI has to do with the weather, not here, but in the UK, because if you remember three weeks ago, we went to England to talk about the risk of a severe power shortage this winter there and in Europe, especially if it gets really cold. Well, it's happening. The weather has been terrible, been colder than average and projected to be for the next couple of weeks. And now natural gas prices are beginning to soar once again. Look at this. This is a chart of the Dutch spot natural gas market, but this is kind of the benchmark for all of Europe. Natural gas prices are up 40% from the end of October, and while they are still down from their all-time highs of three months ago, they are still up nearly 500% more than one year ago. This means that many UK and European power suppliers may have to buy natural gas at these rates if they cannot produce or buy enough power on their own. And because they cannot pass along 500% jumps in heating costs, thank goodness, many are simply shutting down, literally closing up overnight with no warning. So far, dozens of energy suppliers in the UK have gone bankrupt in just two months. And the paper The Guardian reports that households in England, Wales, and Scotland may now be on the financial hook to bail them out, cover more than 3 billion British pounds in costs associated with these collapses. That would amount to about 150 to 175 US dollars per household and send millions into what is called fuel poverty. In other words, barely being able to heat their home or choosing between heating or eating. In other words, a massive publicly funded bailout of big power to keep the heat and the lights on. And maybe a cautionary tale about what happens when a country or an American state doesn't plan ahead for a rainy or a non-windy day. Random, but a little scary. All right, the headlines around the new Omicron COVID strain has certainly been scary with talk of more than 30 mutations and concern about vaccine effectiveness. Your next guest and his team have been doing great work on COVID from the very beginning. And they join us now. Matthew Harrison of Morgan Stanley is with us. Matthew, great to have you back on, although I wish we'd stop meeting like this for obvious reasons. There is so much we do not know right now. But you say there are kind of three buckets of how we should be looking at this. That's right, Brian. Yeah. So we're tracking sort of three things. The first one is transmissibility. Um, Obviously, if this outcompetes Delta and overtakes Delta as the dominant variant, then you have to worry about it. But if it doesn't end up outcompeting Delta, then it's going to go away because Delta will still be the dominant variant. You know, unfortunately, the sort of current evidence that we have suggests that it is outcompeting Delta. If you look at the sequenced cases in South Africa, it appears to have overtaken Delta in a few weeks' time. Um, if you look at some other evidence, there was uh, overnight, um, they found some cases in the, in the Netherlands. 
earlier than people were expecting. You've seen a significant jump in cases in the Netherlands, which may be correlated. So it does appear, at least the early evidence, that it is outcompeting Delta, but we still need to figure that out. Um, the second bucket yeah. is around vaccine effectiveness, which you which you highlighted. And and there, you know, unfortunately, it takes a little bit of time to understand what's going on, but we do have some things to look at. Um, the beta variant, it contains some of the same mutations, and that had a reduction in vaccine effectiveness. So I think it's pretty clear that we're going to reduce vaccine effectiveness. But I think it's also important for everybody to realize that that's usually around symptomatic cases. Um, with all the other variants, we haven't seen a reduction in efficacy against hospitalization, which is a, which is a key and sort of core component. And then the last thing people ask about is um, disease severity. And unfortunately, that's going to take the longest time to figure out, probably four to six weeks. So we'll know something on transmissibility and vaccine effectiveness in the next two weeks, clearly. But uh, disease severity, we just have to wait a little bit longer to get some idea of hospitalization rates and mortality. Okay, so if I'm hearing you right, in, in sort of your second bucket, if you will, uh, based on the beta version, which has been overtaken because we're just kind of moving around, that similar mutations, not exactly the same, there are more on this one on the spike protein, but similar, but it looks like that even if the vaccines don't work as well, they should maybe work fairly well against severe outcomes. Am I hearing you correct, Matthew? Yeah, that, that, that's our current view right now, given what we know. Obviously, as you point out, right, there are 32 mutations on the spike protein here, 15 in the receptor binding domain. And so we, don't, we haven't seen all of the mutations, and we definitely haven't seen all the mutations together. So you could have a different outcome. But given what we've seen previously, you may have a significant reduction in your ability to protect against uh, symptomatic disease, mm -hmm. but you seem to have very strong protection against hospitalization. I was speaking with a PhD virologist two nights ago about this, and, and he said that often, not always, and again, not making any pronouncements, but often when viruses mutate to this level, they will often weaken because they're sort of desperate to find a home. They're trying to find any open door they can. I know we're not asking you to put you on the spot. We know we don't know a lot of things. But historically, when viruses mutate and even become more transmissible as possible, they will also weaken. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that is the historical trend. Um, I, I think the only thing that I would caution here is typically you see one or two mutations as you jump variants. You know, here we jumped from uh, seeing one or two to this cumulative set of 50 mutations in, in one variant. So there's, there's a lot more unknowns here, which I think is why everybody's trying to be a little bit cautious about what the outcome could look like. Okay, let's talk about treatments. Yesterday, Merck got approval, very narrow approval, but it did get approval on that oral antiviral. You follow a company called Adagio. It's new ADGI is the ticker. You have a buy rating on that company. Talk to us about some of the treatments. Because again, if we all, if we get COVID, we just don't want to get really sick or, or have a more severe outcomes. Talk to us about the treatments and how they differ, Matthew, from the vaccines. There's a lot of confusion out there. They're not the same thing at all, are they? No, no, they're not. But I think it's important to, to highlight that, unlike at the beginning of the pandemic, where we didn't really have a lot of options, we have a lot of options now. Um, and in particular, um, you pointed to the Merck oral. Uh, Pfizer has an oral, which is going to go before the FDA uh, soon. And then there are the antibody treatments. And so all these, all these are for after you've been infected. Obviously, the vaccine 
tries to protect you against infection so you don't get sick at all. Um, but these are all for treatment, and we have a lot of tools for treatment now. We have the two orals. We have probably three out of the five known antibodies that work against uh, the Omicron strain. And so um, they're, they're an important tool that's available for, for treatment. Yeah, and that is the positive news. And again, Matthew, we know that there's a lot that we still do not know, but we're watching Adagio. We're watching Merck as well. And we appreciate you coming on and informing us. And Matthew, will have you back on in a few weeks when maybe we do know a little more. Take care. Great. Thanks, Brian. All right, you're very welcome, Matthew and his team doing great work. By the way, must-read research on Wall Street. All right, we're going to say goodbye, but not before we leave you with a little green on your screen. We are seeing Dow futures up more than 300 points, but not to be outdone. NASDAQ futures said anything you can do, I can do better. NASDAQ futures up 1.3%, 214 points. Looks like investors may be piling back in today. Oil, it's up 4%. Squawk and the gang picking up all your coverage next. Have a great day. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.